Welcome back, SIGGRAPH Spotlight listeners. If you're consistently moved by animated shorts due to their incredible storytelling and imagery, you're not alone. Today, SIGGRAPH 2021 Computer Animation Festival Electronic Theater Director Mark Elant of SideFX Software is joined by three fantastic directors from this year's lineup, who've each worked to craft impactful stories that wowed our jury. Taz Tron Delix, Caillou Leon, and Simone Giampaolo. Here's Mark to kick things off. Hello, and welcome to an all-new SIGGRAPH Spotlight. My name's Mark Ayland, and I'm the director of this year's SIGGRAPH Computer Animation Festival Electronic Theater. I'm joined today by some of the incredible directors whose work was accepted to this year's festival. So to kick things off, can I ask you to introduce yourselves to our listeners and maybe share a bit about the journey that you've taken in computer graphics, specifically in animation to date? Taz, could we begin with you? Sure, my name's Taz Rondelix and I'm a director from the UK London and I make music videos and commercials and short films. And the entry that we put into this year's festival was Stormzy Superheroes. And that was a hand-drawn animation for a Stormzy music track. And I guess what's quite interesting about my journey is I started off graduating in animation, always wanted to be an animator. Then I decided animation was way too long for me. So I went into directing live action and I've been doing live action since for about five years. And suddenly last year we were presented with this amazing opportunity to collaborate with Stormzy and make an animation. So I have managed to do a full circle back to where I started from. Very cool. Caillou? Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, so I'm Caillou. I'm actually from Hong Kong. My journey is a bit meandering too. So basically, I after A-level, I went to Sorbonne in Paris, aesthetic philosophy and also art history. Something that I absolutely love, but I always feel like something is missing. So eventually, the, my first year there, I went to NC Animation Festival to, to work there. Immediately, I realized the film I saw and also the director that I met, I don't feel like they just speak to me, but I feel like they speak for me. I feel like finally someone who can articulate something that I don't know how to come up with my own. And then so eventually I realized, like, hey, I really need to get into animation since I love drawing and I love filmmaking. So the MOBA is the school I graduated last year with this film. So they accepted me in the third year directly. And then because I went back to Hong after the festival, immediately I went back to Hong Kong to earn some money for two years and I come back to do animation. And then eventually, like the work that I did in school and also outside of school actually make me get into another kind of a festival circle. And then and I stay there ever since. I always feel like animation is like the people they have to work like a soldier, but think like an artist, which is exactly something that I love to do, the way I work. And when I get into animation, I just feel like uh, why I'm not doing this like all the time. So eventually I just stick with it. Now I do it all the time, kind of tired, but like it's pretty cool so far. I should point out that Caillou's piece was uh, student work. So it's, uh, again, doubly incredible that you're accepted in the animation festival. Our last guest is Simone. Hello, listeners. Hello. My name is Simone Giampaolo, and I'm a director of animated films based in London. As you can hear from my accent, I'm not from central London. I was born in the Italian 
side of Switzerland. I grew up there. And then I decided to move to the UK when I was around 20 to pursue the, the career in animation. And I went to Bournemouth Uni, Bournemouth University, based on the south coast of the UK. I spent there three years learning about things I've never done before, softwares I've never heard of, learning Python, programming, maths, you know, all this stuff that I never touched before. But those were really helpful to, you know, move the first steps into CGI. Eventually, from there, I became an animator, a junior generalist, moved my first steps at Blue Zoo as a director. And now I'm working with different studios. I'm represented by Ardman in Bristol, but I work with other studios in the UK as well, such as Axis, Nexus, Ritzy Animation, and so on. So that's my journey in a nutshell. Actually, I have something to add. It's actually my first year in NCA Animation Festival. I met Simone already. And then uh, he's like one of the person that like, tell me about animation whatsoever. And then so it's like extremely interesting that this year I can be with him and then like we present our work together this year. So it's really interesting. Yeah, Mark, you don't know this, but uh, Mienka, you have been in touch for quite some time. And I was there that year of destiny when she decided to become a 3D artist in Annecy. I was there, I remember. Quite a nice little serendipitous occasion here. <laughs> so, so we've actually brought this group together specifically because each of your animations this year has a message to it. So there's a, a story with a message behind it. When this year's electronic theater is released and the viewers can see these, hopefully they'll be able to pick up on these messages, whether it's about the environment and our planet, just like past year's winners, like hybrids in the beauty, or an immigrant journey, or raising awareness for a movement like Me Too, or one of many other causes. There's a sort of trend for animation to be used as a vehicle to give a message. So I'd like to ask you all to share a little bit about your film, how your project came to be, you know, what was your inspiration and why did you use animation to tell this story? Caillou, why don't we begin with you? Yeah, so Louis Shoes. So the whole idea is based from an interview of an autistic philosopher in France. It's called Joseph Skofanek. So just one time we heard his interview in, in radio. So basically he specialized in decoding social costume and social life, why people say hi why people smile when they feel uncomfortable, something like that. Immediately, we realized the way he viewed their daily life is super whimsical and interesting. He always say that like social life is like a social theater and then everybody play a role in it. And then immediately we realized that it's something super cinematic can do about it. So we start to have a lot of research and then we start to interview a lot of like autistic trial and adults and then we gather a lot of anecdote so basically the backbone of the story is from this philosopher's personal story because it's the whole story is about a day of this boy what happened for him in the school so the little scene is from the anecdote from our interviewee who's like very very great to explain us their experience because like all the story they tell us with their point of view is like at the same time very whimsical and also realistic and then suddenly out of the box to be honest i think like animation the fact that we can do 2d 3d different kind of medium actually is the best way to do justice for their story 
so like when this is like some scene that is more realistic in based in the real time and then we do the classic 3d animation but the thing is like 3d animation can be like extremely realistic but not quite right so there's something that can like really effectively like to see the to project the the point of view from uh, our protagonist so when it comes to totally in his own mind in his own imagination since for me my work and also i always inspired by experimental mv or clips so immediately i can put that inside those storyline so for me i think it is super interesting how the way they tell their story is already very animation light and then our skill set as a team we love experimental and also we love 3d so eventually we collide together to have like we kind of feel like they can tell their story but also we can the mo uh, the potential to make the story being told and then i think the director's job is to constantly making metaphors actually no matter is in what kind of medium i think animation is the best tool the most comprehensive tool to help us to make metaphor to tell a story so I know, noticed in your animation, the way that you organized Lewis's head. And so very organized and laid out like that. That's something I guess that animation lends itself to that you can. Oh yeah, absolutely. You can project things in different ways. Yeah, we can rearrange the reality without any constraints, so. Right. Taz, would you like to talk a little bit about your film? Sure. My film is a music video. So there's, certain things and uh, different ways you approach it than a short film and your music track and your lyrics are your narration and they are the spine of your story so when we got the brief in obviously it's an amazing track from stormzy and i think because it was maybe it was partly because it was a pandemic and nobody could shoot that they wanted to make a music video but i also kind of feel like it would have never been as good any other way apart from being an animation because it was about superheroes and we wanted it to appeal to kids, especially young black kids and underrepresented kids. And his brief basically was like, I want it to be like a black superhero comic book, but not cheesy and corny. So instantly when I was first thought about that, I was like, well, Spider-Man was absolutely amazing. I really wanted to hit that mark where it was an animation that appealed to the older generation, but also young kids liked, you know, it could be cool for everyone and everybody liked it. So it's really important for me that like, I wanted to strike that balance aesthetically where it was soft and had a nice palettes of color and it, it resonated on that level. But then also us as older adults could also be like, this is really amazing. And I went away with the story. I was listening to the lyrics and I just started to think about different kinds of scenarios. And I wanted to sort of dig deep. I think when I brought down the core message was that like, we're all superheroes and that we all have a special power. And our special power is some of us, we might be great filmmakers here today or great animators, storytellers, or maybe we're good at sports or maybe we're good at music or ice skating or I know everything out there mathematics scientists and sometimes to sort of like understand when you're at that age you just kind of need a little bit of encouragement to go down the right path you need somebody to just say you can do this give you a bit of backing and a bit of cheerleading to 
try things out and get some things wrong in this world to finally find maybe where you fit in and what your superpower is. So I really wanted to try and like highlight some superpowers that aren't so obvious. So we gave them the characters, you know, they might jump in the air and they might fly and there might be magical things, but at the heart of it, the girl that we see at the beginning, she supports her family. Maybe her mum and dad aren't in the picture, but her grandparents are. So it was written about a girl that I know who cares for her grandparents and feeds them, does all the cooking, all the cleaning. So I wanted to champion that unsung hero. And then I wanted to also change demographics in terms of having a young black boy that's really smart and like his powers, his brain, he can control things with his mind and he's realizing his own kind of power. And then obviously we started to have these other, there's really nice word plays that Stormzy was saying about talking about inside his powers and his soul goes deeper than his skin. So we were thinking about how we could show like his skeleton as complete gold or like pouring out all these kind of energies. And so there was all these characters that we wanted to put in. And initially when I read it, I probably actually read a short film that should be like a Pixar film. And then we went to get it costed and everybody was like, we can't even do this animation because it's way too ambitious. It's going to take forever. We only had, how long do we have? We had, yeah, I think it was just under three months that we turned it all around in. But then what I tried to, once I'd sort of made this bigger script, what was all about this boy finding his powers and he kind of saved the day in this original script was that I kind of came back to what you can do in music videos. And in music videos, you can just show vignettes and show clips of a story or get to the juicy part without the buildup. So I then decided that we would go around and we could show these little vignettes and these little clips and Stormzy would show the little boy these little worlds and try and explain to him and show him visually that that's inside him. He can be this great. He can be this amazing. And the mad thing was when we started this, everything that happened in America with George Floyd and the rising of the new wave of Black Lives Matter from around the world and all the protests hadn't happened yet. And that happened. We were just pitching everything and we were trying to get it signed off, but we were rewriting the script. And then I saw it as a perfect opportunity to bring that in and do a proper nod to it. And Stormzy was there in London in the protest as well. And so it was really a magical moment where it was a message that we wanted to put out there, out in the world. And then it was actually at the forefront of everything as well. And somehow it perfectly timed where it could be incorporated in the animation and it could come out fresh and hot and, you know, really, really make an impact. It is a very important message that your music video carries. And it's great that you were able to frame it to appeal to such a large demographic. And the timing, just perfect. Yeah, the timing was beautiful. And also they did an amazing campaign around it where they premiered it in secondary schools and primary schools all the way around the country. And Stormzy did a message to all the schools and... Yeah, I mean, I think this, you know, I've done a lot of different kind of videos and worked with a lot of artists, but I think when you make any kind of film that has a cultural impact or can be healing or it can drive out a message, it it is super important. And I think that's what reminds you why you make art. And I think that's like you were saying earlier about how art has these messages or can contain these things. And 
when you can give back in that kind of way. For me anyway, it's just like the best feeling, 100%. So Simone, I think that your animation comes from a little bit of a different place. Would you like to tell us the inspiration? Well, I know the inspiration of your story, but would you like to share it with the listeners and talk about your film a little bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was quite timely as well. The time for Only a Child was quite timely because uh, we started the production a few months before Greta Thunberg became a thing and became world famous with her Fridays for Future movement. So we had a very strange alignment of stars there, you know, this idea actually is shared by so many other people around the planet because, of course, climate is changing. We need to act. Everyone knows that. But animation is the perfect medium for reaching, as Caillou said before, perfect medium for reaching a wide audience and share metaphors which can be enjoyed by kids and adults. They can be understood. They can touch so many different people something that live action not always can do that easily because sometimes there are certain filters which are put in front of children or teenagers where else animation has really that gift to share a message, to really deliver the message, even though the message is brutal. Anyway, Only a Child is my film, which is in Seacraft this year and is a very eclectic film. Is a visual poem based on the speech by Severn Kali Suzuki, which she gave as a 12-year-old kid at the United Nations Summit in Rio de Janeiro in 1992, so basically 30 years ago. Severn Kali Suzuki, daughter of David Suzuki, a big guru of the environmental movement in Canada, she's been active as an activist for now 30 and past years, and she has started what became very popular over 2019 and 2020, this students' movement with Greta Thunberg, where so many students, so many young people around the globe have been protesting for their rights, for the climate justice, for, you know, government to be a bit more responsible of their action and so on. And it's still going. This movement is still going strong in spite of COVID and restrictions. When you watch Only a Child, immediately notice that the peculiarity about the film is the fact that there are so many techniques. And I really, really stressed on the fact that I wanted to see many techniques. I wanted to see different styles combined together. So I reached out, I called many different art directors, sand animation, stop motion, paint on glass, CGI, CGI, but tune shading, realistic CGI. It's like there is almost every technique in the book is in there. And that's a metaphor in itself. Like you was talking about metaphors before. The fact that there are so many techniques is an allegory. I see an animation technique as a nation or as a country. And seeing so many different techniques coming together is really a allegory for different populations, different nations, different humans coming together to support a cause, support and deliver a clear message. So that's the reason behind Only a Child. That's why that speech inspired so many different visuals in so many different techniques and styles. It's not come through in one night, you know. It's been quite a process to select the right techniques, select the right people, being sure that 
could be all done in my spare time because I, I didn't work on only a child full time. I was working at Jellyfish Pictures in London at that time. And during the evenings and weekends, I was directing the artists, which were mostly based in Switzerland. And uh, I didn't sleep much for six months. <laughs> it's, it's been tough. But, you know, considering the recognition that the film is getting and the fact that people really are touched by this message 30 years after it was given in Rio, that makes it worth it. That pays off all the sweat and pain that was invested last year. It really, truly was a work of passion. It's such an, a passionate speech, and it's amazing that you found time to put this together. So congratulations. Taz, you touched briefly on the fact that no production was being done because you were doing all this work last year, and of course, everything was shut down. So were there any other challenges that you had to deal with in putting together the Stormzy piece? Challenges. I mean, you know what? Coming from live action to animation, it was an absolute dream to work in animation. And obviously you've got you've got your own challenges, but I was a director, not an animator. It went to a studio. We were asking a lot from the studio, from the style we wanted, from what we wanted to do. I guess I'm always open to find creative solutions, to change things, to make it achievable. So I guess we were going to have a lot of different locations and there was a lot of concern about how many characters, how much design, how much backgrounds everybody has to have. And I um, kind of came to the conclusion of like, well, I feel like we can have almost like a backdrop that doesn't have to be a room for everybody. It can be this colored backdrop with dots flying around and we're spotlighting the characters and what's going on there because it's a music video. We don't, we don't need to feel that. And I guess that was the, more of the challenge was sort of just making it so that it could be done in the time for the budget and the amount of people that were working on it. But for me, I was also directing some other projects and it was a dream to be able to write a script and had a kind of general shot list and give it away and a storyboard to come back and then be able to pick at every frame on the animatic and pick at the timings and and then a couple of days later that to come back and it all be done or same with the styling or the character design to be able to like get this amazing designs back and be like, okay, this is great, but can we push it a bit further, a bit further, even like sometimes there's a bit of a pushback, but you push and you push. It was a dream to be able to step back and just direct. And I think that's what I loved so much about the process was being able to just focus fundamentally on the directing and not get sucked into the whole production side what always seems to happen in live action. It sounds like you found animation a much more liberating process to sort of achieve your vision. So do you see yourself working on animated projects in the future more, or are you going to return back to live action more? Or I would love to do more animation projects. I mean, like I said, I used to make animations myself, and I might go back to that. They're much more experimental, crazy things. But I would love to do more, but I, I think I'll always be doing live action. I'll see how it goes. If there's people who want to commission an animation, I'd love to crack into another one. Cool. Caillou, this was a student project, so you must have had a whole bunch of different challenges than the professionals had. Would you like to share some of the challenges that you experienced? 
I mean, like, uh, of course, the technical part is the hardest always. I don't need to detail about that because you guys are so much more experienced than me. Basically, learn through the project. And also, it's like during the COVID, so we, we cannot really work together. But like, we're also still very, very fresh on the technical part. But to be honest, I think the hardest part for the project is actually really nail down the scenario. The thing is, we are not autistic, but somehow we need to tell the story that we not sure we can represent the story. So like it is really hard to like create the empathy, but also bring the audience with us together. And so it is a very specific spot that we need to hit. And then so when we write the story and when I create a storyboard, and then we need to really have like a grammar of like order scene, how they happen for the whole story. So the thing is like, for example, what is really lucky for us is like Lewis, our protagonist, is someone who is very self-aware. So we can always create some structure to like every time when the scene started and then it's in a specific way. So for example, like the whole film is his point of view. So we think like, okay, Lewis don't want to look at people. And then so we always, the camera will never show any other characters in the film. So that's how we start to present all the characters. That's how we start a scene. But like it is the child who don't look but he observed. So immediately we have to think away like how to convey the character is like a kid who is like very attentive. So we create a character that's like with different objects, different stuff, different like immediately when you don't even need to see this face, but you immediately know what kind of character it is. Just like how in real life, I probably can tell about your background, <laughs> about you. When I see your background, I can probably tell more about you than actually talk to you. And so we imagine just Louis is like this. And also another thing is like, because we don't want to create any villain in the story, because we don't want to make it like educational or like one note, like who is the bad guy in the story? We don't want to create that. So basically we create all the scene. We always have some scene that is the character is like super tiny in a set. So basically you can see, even though there's some kid who's a little bit nasty to Louis, or maybe the adult is a bit inconsiderate, but actually they are just the victim of the environment or the product of where they're living. So everybody is a bit helpless in the story. And actually the climax of our story is when Louis and all his five cents work against him. And then so something more abstract. Not only is because it's really cinematic to show, and also it is from the experience from our interviewee. And so basically at the end, the lighting is the villain. And so the villain is me eventually. And then so there's a lot of visual code like this we need to nail down because we are from like a technical school. So the thing is like my favorite part of creating an animation film is this part is the how we create a grammar for the story. So it is super interesting to do. But also we spend... I think most of the time, but as long as we have the grammar, we realize like no matter it's like technical problems, should we use this light, should we not, all this stuff, all the question, actually we can go back to those keywords and then we can have our answer. And another thing that's interesting is like, because I've seen both you guys were Simone and also Tess and Simone, even though there's like a lot of style inside a film, but I can still tell his style. And then Tess, actually I, I know your MV before because Joy Cook is my queen and then the thing is like even though it's like a live action your style actually i can still see your style in animation with the little bit like retro vibe in it and then so i think it all comes down to no matter what kind of medium it all comes down to how you get the grammar and as a just graduate a student it is the longest thing that i need to learn thank you thank you Caillou. 
So, Taz, I've got one question that's very specific to you, which is that in particular, you had to work in a music video. So, as you said earlier, the narrative for your piece was actually defined by Storm Z. So, were there any unique challenges in collaborating with the artist? Did he have a lot of influence on your vision, or how was it working on a music video? And how is it different? compared to developing a more straightforward narrative film? Well, I think, like, luckily, a lot of the time, the kind of relationships I've built up with artists is I normally have built up some trust. So I'd done a music video with him before. So he actually asked for me for this one specifically, was like, I want Taz to do this. So he already kind of had our back and there wasn't really anything that came back from the artist. I think apart from maybe he wanted the shoes to be changed. He wanted, I think they weren't quite cool enough to start with. So the shoes had to be changed on him. The thing with, that's important for me through music videos is that you have to follow the rhythm. You have to follow the structure of the song. As soon as I get any music video, I will divide it up into a timeline and I will work out how long these lyrics last for, how long the chorus, the middle way, the ending and then I can kind of get a gauge for like where we need to be within the timeline of the story but again like I was saying with a music video you have a luxury where you can almost get to the juicy part or get to the climax straight away of the storytelling I always do like a development I do almost want the three stages of do you know what I mean the beginning middle and the end and have some kind of conclusion you can definitely on a lot of music videos you can get away with it just being like getting to some kind of juicy scene or juicy imagery and I guess if you're not doing a music video you need to do a lot more explaining and a lot more build-up in fact with Stormzy it's not just a music in the background like you said it's it's these lyrics that are almost narratives what I quite enjoy and what I do with a lot of my music videos is I will I will look at the lyrics and I will think about what my interpretation of these lyrics might be or what they mean to me. And sometimes they seem really obvious to me, but when I tell other people, they're like, oh, I never thought of that. And that's what I've I've kind of learned about ideas is a lot of ideas I think are obvious aren't that obvious to anybody else. But generally, that's how I will work with a music video. I will bear in mind that the lyrics and the music are going to be part of the storytelling and will inform the audience in that kind of way. And then in live action, you're going to have to build up that information or reveal it later or, or do all that kind of hard work that comes in. So that's one thing about short animation compared to long format or other formats is that you've got this small little time segment where you can pack so much in and you can tell a really powerful story in just a little bit of time. So we're sort of seeing that in other animations. So for example, this year's best animated Oscar short went to If Anything Happens, I Love You, which is all about gun violence. So we're seeing short animation in particular used a lot more to send a message or to reveal a message. So you guys as directors, do you have any insight into why short animation works so well for this kind of purpose. Caillou, why don't we start with you? I think because like animation first is the best way to create empathy. I have no idea why I cry for a box 
like maybe a character just like a, a stick figure or something with no face, but I would cry for it. And also the thing is, I think first we cannot be something that we never see. And I think a lot of social issue, maybe gun violence or LGBTQ or immigrant story, all this story for a lot of people, if they don't come from certain background, they probably don't understand. They never see it. You cannot blame them. Probably if you talk about gun violence in Hong Kong, we don't carry gun. We probably don't understand why, what happened. And I think animation is built from nothing by nature. So basically, I think that is how we, um, the, the director can create a metaphor that is very out of the, your background, your religions or where you're from, and then to represent it to you. And then eventually maybe someone who from not even from America, and they will understand what is gun violence or like someone, they talk about love story, but eventually actually, actually is talk about like a LGBTQ story. And I think, yeah, animation is the best way to create it, especially they have like a facade just to create something maybe beautiful or visually pleasing or, or, or something weird even. But eventually they just give the message to you and you have no idea actually it is. And I think I cannot count on how many things that I understand by just randomly watching animation. And that's why I feel like animation really make people see without being in it. Caillou, this is my world. Taz said it right before about music video. You know, you have those three, four minutes to get to the point. And, you know, it, it might be, you know, something we've already touched on, we've already mentioned, but short films have that power to go straight to the point in a few minutes. And uh, it's become, we need short films in a population, in a society uh, whose attention span is getting shorter and shorter and you're in, in Instagram and TikTok uh, sort of generation, people get bored after a minute. So when you present a short film, which is 10, 12 minutes, you're like, oh, wow, that's a, such a long short. <laughs> it's becoming almost, you know, if you want to send a message, it's almost like you have to hit that soft spot between three and seven minutes, I would say. And you can really deliver a message in a, in a successful way, in a punchy and brutal way at times. That's the reason why. That's, that's why short films are, are so effective, you know, and that's why we need more of them. The feature films are amazing. I've never directed a feature film. Who knows? Maybe one day it will happen. But, you know, for telling a moral of the story, you have to build up a colossal 90 minutes structure to go to the point and, and say something. And uh, I'm not saying that's bad. I mean, feature films are there for more enjoyment, entertainment, cries, laughter, while also sometimes delivering a moral at the end. But short films have that power and they can make use of it way more successfully than longer films or documentaries, not just feature films, so documentaries as well. And that's why we need more of music videos with a strong uh, point with a strong message or short films such as Louis or, or Only a Child. Taz, would you like to add anything to this? I mean, I think I'll just, it's just the same kind of echoing of what both these guys have said, you know. I think on time, I have a big thing. It's like, it is exactly this. We're MTV generations that keep getting faster and faster and faster. We want something now. We want stimulation so everything's getting sped up. It's like you'd know it probably even when you work with like clients work. They don't like to work out why a film doesn't work. They just want faster cuts, faster products. They're like, maybe if we make it faster, it works better. Maybe make it faster. So 
I think there is this thing of just the way the new audience and generation consume. And then secondly, is again, animation is basically the power to dream and it has the magic within it. And because it's about building and creating these worlds that we've never seen before from nothing, I think it's definitely a magical spectacle that can grasp everybody's attention, as well as, as you see now, live action trying to copy animation is transitions and fluid movement. And that's another thing where if you don't let the image cut as well and you have fluidity and things morphing, it's another way where the eye or your, the attention hasn't had a chance to look away. <laughs> so it can uh, just suck you in. Adding to that, I think it's very important to recognize that clients in particular want everything faster and faster and everything has to be punchy and we need to keep the audience entertained. And it's correct, I think, as directors to recognize this trend and respect it. However, I really like when there are films, shorts or documentaries or even music videos which have those poses, which have those ma moment where you, you let the character think and reflect that's becoming more rare recently, especially for TV series, but even for feature films. We see characters bombarding kids with gags, jokes, phrases, banter all the time. I really like when the directors have still the courage to keep silence for many seconds in a shot. That's why Studio Ghibli's films are, are so appreciated, because they still, in Japanese culture, they still respect that Ma, that silence, that break to make people brief and think. I would love to do more of that, even though I, when I get into commercial, I'm also persuaded by clients, <laughs> like do everything faster and stronger. And I, I would like to try and fight that in a way and try to, you know, give people more time to think throughout the projection. That's a really good point because, you know, as the fast pace becomes the norm, a small pause makes it really stand out and really emphasizes, can be used to emphasize that idea or the ma, as you say. Sadly, though, I think that's all the time we have for today. It's gone very quickly. I cannot wait for our, our viewers to see your films at the SIGGRAPH 2021 Electronic Theatre. And on top of so many other great films that are part of the festival. So I'd really like to thank you for joining us. Taz, Simon, Caillou. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Our pleasure. Before we fade out, I'd like to open up. Are there any upcoming projects we should keep our eyes out from you guys? I don't know if I can talk about any, but there will be more, lots more at some point, but not animations. Sadly, not any animations at the moment, but hit me up. Not in the near future, but maybe in the far future, you can get some, come back to animation. Yeah, hopefully. Simon, I'm currently directing a TV series for Sky Kids, which is coming out in August. Fingers crossed. You never know, you know, until it's out. <laughs> it's always difficult to say for sure. And then I might be involved in a couple of things. Maybe more TV series for Netflix, but quite top secret. I cannot say more than that. How about you, Caillou? Wow. Everybody have like a project that is in secret. Well, actually, I have two. <laughs> no, so actually, I just graduated, and then but right now I'm working in a studio in France right now in Angoulême for a Netflix series. 
So I basically, I'm a lighting artist in it. So I basically learn really the moment I learned like the proper structural studio work pipeline. And then, but also aside of my day job, I also do illustration and also making clips and for magazine or freelance like this. So I hope one day I can merge these two experiences together as a director, hopefully. Excellent. Thank you very much again. And I look forward to seeing your films at the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you'll subscribe to the show or leave us a review to help others find us. For more information on today's guests, ACM SIGGRAPH, or the upcoming SIGGRAPH 2021 virtual conference, check out the links in our show notes. If you're inspired to learn more about each of today's featured directors and their projects, tickets to the Electronic Theater are on sale now and streaming starts August 9th. See you next time.